Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I'd rather that than just, I mean, because if everything just is going smooth, I'm like, it's coming from somewhere. I'm, I'm praying over my family. I'm looking out for the marriage. I got to keep everything super tight. I don't know where the warfare is coming from. But it was like, okay, you just you broke the window, you know, and, and, and we keep it pushing, right? The Lord is great. It's a cool thing as a believer. We know we're in a battle, but don't we already know we won? Like, how, how cool is it to be at war, but already know that 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 the war is won? Like, the, you're fighting from the position of victory already because the Lord goes before us. The Lord does all the fighting. Do you feel like you are in a state of constant warfare? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Bill, he affirms that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are in a battle. There is all sorts of warfare going on within the spiritual realms. However, Pastor Bill encourages you that you are not in it alone. God is in the battle with you. Not only that, he goes before you and has already won the victory. You're fighting from a place of promise and victory, not from defeat. Keep fighting the good fight with the Lord. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Paul opens up chapter 16, verse 1 this way. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches in Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whoever you approve by your letters, I will send it and bear your gift to Jerusalem. And so background here, the church in Jerusalem, if you guys uh, remember when we were in Acts, they had explosive growth. That was where the church began, started out with 120 people in the upper room praying. Holy Spirit fell upon them. Peter preaches the first sermon. 3,000 people get saved. They continue steadfasting in the apostles' doctrine, breaking the bread. You know, they're in the word every single day and they're in communion. They're, they're doing all the right stuff, Acts 2.42. And it says, and the Lord was adding daily to the church, such as should be saved. Another 5,000 are added. This church is just explosive growth. You know, just a, a gang of people there. And they're doing great. Now, there began to be persecution against the church in Jerusalem. There's a few reasons why people think they ended up so financially challenged. One thing that they did in the very beginning was they said, we're going to have all things in common. If you guys remember that, everybody took what they had, sold it, and they brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And they, so they had everything in common. God never said they had to do that. But the, the, the sense of community and love for one another was so strong among them. That was what they decided. They decided that that's what they wanted to do. And so they were having everything in common together. And so some believe that that system, after a while, once it all ran out, it left everybody poor. And that may be a part of it. But I, I think a bigger part of it is there was great persecution against believers. If you were a Jew and you converted to Christianity, many times your family would ostracize you. You would be considered an outcast. Your job, people wouldn't want you working in their jobs. It was a very religious, if the culture and the religion were so heavy that if someone were to say, I am now a worshiper of Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm not following the Jewish traditions and whatnot, They're, they could lose their business. They could lose their opportunity to make money. And so for different reasons, the church in Jerusalem became broke. And what Paul does here at the end, he's told the church in Galatia, he said to the church in Corinthians, we're seeing now, He's having them take up an extra collection. So this isn't the normal giving. This is an addition to the normal giving to help out our poor brothers over here. And so, again, he said, now concerning the collection of the saints, I've given orders 
to Galatia. I'm giving the same thing to you guys. Here goes some principles for giving within the church. He said on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. So giving would happen. Giving would take place for the church on the first day of the week. For those that stumble over, rather or not, the early Christians still observe the Sabbath. Doesn't look like they did. From the time that Christ resurrected, it's only ever said from that point on that they got together on the first day of the week. They collected offering on the first day of the week. They celebrated the Lord's Day on the first day of the week. From that point on, that's when we see any church activity happening on the first day of the week. Now, it wouldn't have been wrong if they also, you know, met on Saturday, but it's what the Bible is saying. Just that's just extra. So on the first day of the week, lay something aside. They were so they were to do it. That was the day they were to give it. It says storing up as he may prosper. Each person was to give according to what they have. When it says as you may prosper. So those that have more should give more. Those that have less would obviously um, only they would they would give less. Um, so we give according to how God has prospered us. And then he said, let, the, let there be no collection when I come. Paul said, I don't want to show up and have to give some offering spiel. I don't want to show up and have to come and say, hey, guys, everybody dig deep now. You know, no jingle, but crinkle. You know, he said, I want you guys, you settle this at home. And so it's the same attitude we have toward giving. Um, it's our belief that uh, every family should at home have prayed about what God has blessed your family with, prayed about what you're going to give to the church. And that should be something settled before you walk through the doors. We're not going to extend. We're not going to get up here and give an extra speech. You know, we, we pray for the offering and then they take it. Um, I don't send up an offering collection minister. Some churches have those guys that are really good at kind of, you know, make you feel real terrible. You had Starbucks this week. If you gave up all that Starbucks this week, that could go to the Lord. You know, like we don't do that. It's it's um, it really should be something that's settled uh, between an individual and the Lord before they ever get before they ever walk in. So Paul said, hey, before you guys get here, I'm not going to come up and do a, a special you know, song and dance to get you guys to do it. it. It should be part of your worship to the Lord. So that's how they were doing it. Verse three. And it says, and when I come, whoever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. So Paul said, when I show up, whoever you guys have in your church body that you recognize is responsible, uh, you trust to handle the finances, we'll send them. I'm not coming to take over. We'll send that person ahead to Jerusalem to bear your gift, to go give it. So in our church, we have people here that are entrusted to handle the finances and those things. And those are the people that that take care of that. And they do that. Paul said, I'll honor what you guys have in place, whatever guys you have there, they can take your gift to Jerusalem. Here's the, the the nugget that we get here. It is important that as believers, we recognize everything we have comes from the Lord. And if we recognize everything we have come from the Lord, for believers, it should be an easy thing for us to give back to the Lord if it's to his work or if it's to his people. Um, if, if it's God's work that we give to, it shouldn't be a, a, a burdened, strenuous, you know, uh, you know, it should be something that we do in worship. And the same is true if it's a matter of giving to God's people. Uh, it should be something that, that, that it's, it's what's, it, it should be a normal part of uh, the activity of those that believe, uh, believe on the Lord. So Paul was calling them to that. Verse four, he says, but it is fitting that I go also to Asia. Um, they will go with me. Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that when I remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on, um, you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see, for I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. A little bit here, right? Paul is journeying everywhere. If you follow the, you know, you can follow Paul's missionary journeys on a map and see that he went from here to here to here to here. And there are many times in Paul's going and coming 
where Paul had intended, I'm looking forward to coming to see you guys. And he didn't always get to go where he wanted to go when he thought he was going to go. God's timetable many times was different. The route God took him on was many times different. Even here he's saying, look, I, I, I want to come here. Not sure kind of how it's going to go in the winter, how much traveling he'll be doing. He said, I, I don't wish to see you now, but when I'm on my way, I hope I can stay a while with you guys if the Lord permits. He says, but I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. And he's just recognizing that I'm, 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 I'm going to be making moves. I'm hoping to get to you guys, but it's as the Lord permits, as the Lord will allow. And for anybody here that's made plans and your plans fell through, it could be a discouraging thing. It could be a disappointing thing, especially if you start tagging God on stuff too soon. God could show you what he's going to do. And then you can start getting excited. God showed me he's going to do this. And you start moving like God said he was going to do it right now. And I don't know if anybody's ever done that. I've done that. That's why I can talk about this. So God has shown me things he was going to do, but he never said when. But I was so excited at what he showed me he was going to do. I'm like, I start, I start trying to make it happen now. And God's like, I'm not helping. That's, that's, you, it's been, that's all you. That's all your energy. It's not happening. It's not working, is it? I'm not with you. I'm not doing it right now. I'm doing this right now. And it was, it was a lesson to learn. It's like, okay, God's revealing what he's going to do. His plans and his timing have to come together. Uh, many times what that means for the child of God is that we have to be patient. And that's almost like a cuss word. For the believer, that four letter Christian word, wait, you got, I got to wait again, you know, but many times God puts us in a place where he says, I'm going to do it, but you're going to wait. And you look through your Bible, and you see many people. God, why did God tell Abraham, I'm going to give you a son and son's going to be blessed. There'll be no boy. He's going to have his, his descendants going to be like the sand of the sea. I'm going to do that for you, Abraham. Abraham is taking Sarah and they're going and, 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 and nothing's happening. And they they probably have date night every night. You know, nothing's happening. And he's like, Lord, you, why did, why would God tell him it's so soon and make him wait so long? Yeah, because God was establishing something there. You know, God had a purpose in the waiting. Why did God tell Joseph? Joseph, show this little boy a dream. Everybody bowing down to you. And he was like, oh, I got a dream. Went and told his brothers and his dad. I saw a dream. And my dream, oh, you guys are bowing down to me. It was awesome. And his brothers hated him more for it. His dad was like, man, shut up. You know, and his mom held it, tucked it away. Like, why did he get to see that? More than 30 some years before it would ever happen. Why did God do that? God put something in his heart. God was going to be the one to bring it to pass. If I could save you some heartache, I'm going to give you what God gave me. Because I've, I've, I've made that mistake. And this is what the Lord told me, right? When God tells you he's going to do something, the burden is not on me to make it happen. The burden is on him. I can just chill. I can go on about walking with the Lord, serving the Lord. God said, I, if I said I was going to do it, you, know, you shouldn't be walking around looking like you carrying 800 pound backpack. Why are you looking burdened? You know, I said I was going to do it. And it's such a liberty and a freedom and a relief that, God, you said it. So I'll wait till you do it. I'll be here. I'll be, I can't wait till you do. And I'll be excited when you do. But I won't walk around acting like I got to make your work happen. Because when Abraham tried to take it into his own hands, what happened? Hagar and Ishmael. He made it. That was a problem. I, I don't have time to go into that story. But long story short, he, he took his wife's handmaiden thinking that that could be the child of promise. And they had Ishmael. And God was like, I'm not going to, that's not, that's not my will. I did. That's not, I, I'm not blessing that. And so uh, that created a whole lot of problems. So anyway, Paul said something key. It's, it's, um, it's, and it's the end of verse seven. If the Lord permits, there are people and there, there's a whole movement in the church, the word faith movement where they don't like phrases like that. No, you just got to claim it. You know, you just got to believe God. And I'm saying Paul, the apostle said, if the Lord permits, Paul didn't say, I'm going to be there. I'm, I'm telling, I'm declaring and decreeing I will be there. And I'm telling y'all when Paul didn't talk like that. Right. 
So why, where, where does the church get that kind of verbiage from, from other broken segments of the church? We not, we can't claim, declare, and decree. We, God, if you permit, Lord, if you will. Some people think that praying like that is not praying in faith, but it is faith. It takes faith. It takes more faith for me to say, God, from what I can see, this is what I want. And I would claim it, but I'm leaving room for you to show me that I'm wrong. Lord, if you will. That takes more faith in God than it does to be claiming everything that I see and that I want. So um, so with your plans, you want to get them from the Lord. If God said he's going to do something, the burden's on him, not you. You just make sure you're walking with him. Don't don't be stressing out over stuff and and leave room. Always leave room in your plan, even in your hopes and your dreams. Leave some room for the will of God, because everything Paul wanted to do was good. He's he's wanting to journey from place to place to help churches that need help. He's, I want to come see you guys and I want to go help them. And I heard about what's happening over there and I want to get over there and check on everything Paul wanted to do was good. But lining up your good works with God's timing. Right. Many of us want to do good things for God. And God said, let, let, let me line that up. Let, let me get that good work on my time schedule. Let me get you where I want you to be, when I want you to be there, doing what I want you to be doing at every season. Some seasons we want to be doing. And God's like, the work that I'm doing in you right now is more important than the work you want to do for me. So you're going to be sitting and it's okay. And so let the Lord have his way. Amen. The Lord permits. Verse eight says, but I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost for a great and effective door has opened to me. But there are many adversaries. And this is so true. Paul said, look, there's a a great and effect. The door of opportunity to me is open wide. But there are many adversaries. And uh, you guys hear this from me now. Right now, we're in a season of we're, we're preparing to, to take new ground and move into a new area. And I, I told you guys, we're praying. There's no way we can step out to do a new work and move into a new area and try to take new ground and try to reach out to people with the God. There's no way to do that where we won't experience adversaries. There won't be there won't be some kind of controversy, some kind of some kind of attack of the enemy, something to to either steal attention away from the work or distract from the work. Satan wouldn't be Satan if he just let us run up and take whatever we wanted. So with doing a work for God, anybody that's in ministry, anybody that's in service to the Lord, you understand that with your service, with your ministry, what you're doing, there comes warfare. There comes an attack of the enemy. There, these, these things will be. And it's OK. It's, it's part of the core, you know. For you guys to know, we, we, we got the keys to the building last week on Friday at 2.30, um, the week of the picnic. And then that Saturday morning of the picnic at 4.30 in the morning, somebody broke five windows, sprayed off a fire extinguisher, poked holes in the drywall. And I, for me, I'm like, that was, I got excited. Like, man, the enemy is, he's like, let me see if I can't get him discouraged now. I'm going to shake up some stuff and bust some windows. And it, for me, that was that was better. I'd rather that than just, I mean, because if everything just is going smooth, I'm like, it's coming from somewhere. I'm, I'm praying over my family. I'm looking out for the marriage. I got to keep everything super tight. I don't know where the warfare is coming from, but it was like, okay, you just you broke some window, you know, and, and, and we keep it pushing, right? The Lord is great. It's a cool thing as a believer. We know we're in a battle, but don't we already know we won? Like, how, how cool is it to be at war, but already know that, that, that the war is won? Like, the, you're fighting from the position of victory already because the Lord goes before us. The Lord does all the fighting. Might get sucker punched over here, might get something over here, but everything that surprises me, that's my first thing I pray when something shocks me. I'm like, God, you saw this before it happened. Before I knew it was coming, you knew, you knew yesterday this was going to be not a shock to you. You know how I'm supposed to respond. You know what your will is. You know why you allowed it because Satan can only do what you allow him to do. So even if you allow the enemy a little bit of movement, it's even in that all things are working together for the good of those who love God and called according to his purpose. So we, I just, we start meditating on those things and, and recognizing that, yep, Paul said, there's a great and effective door. I mean, the opportunity for me to do a work for God is great, 
but so is the battle, so is the warfare, um, and we got to just be okay with that. Um, Paul endured tremendous warfare because Paul did a tremendous work for God. There are some people, there are some Christians that just a little bit of dust gets kicked up and they just fall all the way back and say, like, I got you. That's what I wanted. A little, little bit of discouragement. I, I can't serve. I can't do it anymore. That's what he wanted. Um, be, be careful about being that way, you know, so easily just just kicked off, um, kick, kicked off of, you know, whatever God had called us to do. Discouragement will come. Warfare will come. There'll, there'll be times of battle. Um, and, and we got to just stay the course. We got to stay in the fight. And so moving on, verse 10, it says, and if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace that he may come to me, uh, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. So Paul is also saying, I, I send young Timothy. Some of you guys are with us as we went through first and second Timothy. Uh, one of the things about the Timothy's nature was that uh, it would seem that he was more of a timid person. Paul was always Paul was encouraging, hey, be bold, you know, take charge, preach the word. You know, the all the exhortations of Timothy seem like the things that you would exhort someone that was a little bit timid, a little bit, you know, a little bit soft. And um, and God told Timothy in first Timothy, he says, hey, let no one despise your youth. Right. Don't anybody despise you because you're young. You be thou an example to the believer in your word and your conduct and your purity and in your love. You make sure that your life is a your life says that, yeah, I'm young, but I'm but I'm don't, but I'm not to be despised in my youth. And there could be people that there you could be young in age, but mighty in God. Amen. And we have to leave room for that. There's some young people that's like, man, you're young and maybe immature in some respects, but they could be mighty in God. That's why we want to pour in our young people. That's why we want to speak God's word to them and build them up and give them opportunity to, to express their love for the Lord and grow in their gifts in God. Because age is, Paul said, don't despise, don't, don't let anybody despise your youth. And as Paul sends Timothy in, it makes me think that maybe he just didn't carry himself. Um, Paul, you know, maybe he, he carried himself with a different kind of authority. They didn't like it either because, you know, Paul was strong. And they say, hey, when he comes, y'all, in verse 10, he says, Timothy, when he comes, see that he may be with you without fear. And I'm thinking like, like, you know, either this church is really bad to pastors and Paul said, y'all don't be mean to him and make him be afraid when he gets there. Or Timothy is really timid and can be made scary. And Paul's kind of fixing that. Or it might be a combination of both. Either way, that's a weird. If, if I said, if I told you guys, hey, guys, next week, I, I'm not going to be here. I got a uh, pastor. Clint's going to be here. But yeah, don't don't run him off. That would that would say something about you guys. You know, I, I got a friend pastor going to be coming next to you. Can you guys don't run them? That's my friend. Can y'all be nice? I love the guy. Can you can y'all not run him off? That would say that y'all are kind of a rough crowd. Right. That's what I'm getting from this. You know, Paul said, hey, hey, I want to be here in fear and please don't despise him. That tells me that the Corinthians, it was kind of tough on pastors. That's 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 my interpretation. You know, we don't have to fight over it. But moving on, verse 11, he says, therefore, let no one despise him once again, but send him on his journey in peace that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. So Timothy not only worked with Paul, he served Paul. And Paul's letter to Timothy says, I have no one else like-minded like him. I can't tell you how valuable it is to be able to serve God with people that are like-minded. Someone that you can send in your name and say, he'll do what I would want him to do. That Paul Peter, Paul could say of Timothy that he knows my heart. You know, if, if, if I'm not there, I'd rather him be there. You know, he'll, he'll know what I would want done, so forth and so on. That's the relationship Paul had with Timothy. I don't have, there's no one else like him to me. 
Um, for some of us, maybe we have that with our spouse. You know, if I, me and my wife, if I can't be somewhere, if Mika there, she hears like I hear. She, I mean, if she can, re, she can relate something to me. If I miss a meeting, if at least one of us are there, I, we feel like we were there because she can hear how I would hear, and vice versa. You know, that's Paul's relationship with young Timothy, and it, it is a blessing. You know, for me here, you know, if I got to be gone, I, I thank God for Pastor Clint. You know, Clint, somebody that I can say, if, if I can't be here. If I can leave everything with Clint, I don't feel like I have to call. You know, when I leave, if me and my wife go away and Clint's in charge, I don't call. You know, how's it going? Is it right there? You know, it's like he's there. You know, like I know he'll deal with stuff that comes up. I know he got a Swiss blade for any real problems that show up. You know, I know we good. You know, I think it'll be all right. So it's a blessed thing. And so I just would encourage everybody here. It's, um, many times it's said every everybody needs a Paul and a Timothy. You know, everybody needs someone in your life that they're really pouring into you and you receive from them. And we all need someone that we're also pouring into, you know, that um, I'm never I'm never done. I'm never grown to the point where I don't need. I always need people pouring into me. And thank God he's always provided men in my life that that I can look up to that I can receive from that are speaking into my life. And then God said to make sure that you're also in turn reaching out to some other people and pouring into them. And so just your Christian duty, you know, to make sure that you're receiving and being poured in. Some people are bad receivers. And if you're a bad receiver, you won't have much value to pour down. Um, that's what I find. People that don't receive very well because they know everything, they usually make other people just like them. So you, you, you need to be humble enough to receive and gracious enough to give. But some people are only willing to give. Some people receive all day, but they won't give it out. We want to do both. Amen. So moving on now, he says, um, now, verse 12, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. So I thought this is interesting. We know Apollos is a mighty man of God as well, um, strong in word. Um, he was the one that Aquila and Priscilla really discipled and poured into, and they saw that he was strong in spirit, and they just he just needed a few little pointers and stuff like that. And so Paul said, look, I, I strongly urged him to come, but he was quite unwilling and doesn't say why he was unwilling, just says that he was. I like a couple things here. Um, I like one, Paul wasn't commanding and demanding Apollos. He was urging, he's, I'm urging you, I'm encouraging you to go, but but at the same time recognizing that, you know, you, you, you know, I mean, he had the liberty and the freedom to say, I don't feel willing to go. There's something about Christian leadership. We're not, and it's, in a particular pastoral ministry, you lead sheep, but but you don't drive sheep. You know, you drive buffalo. There's some there's some stubborn animals out there. You get behind them and you got to be poking them and driving them and whipping them. But not sheep. Sheep are to be led. Right. And so Paul said, I urged him. Uh, I'm an apostle. You know, I'm, I'm Paul's kind of a big deal. But he said, but he had the liberty to say, nah, I don't I don't I'm not not right now. I'm not going to do it right now. That's OK. There's some room for that. You know, he wasn't it wasn't a command to do something. You know, it wasn't like a command to obey God's word or do what the Bible says. He's Paul. Said, I really would like you to go here. But he was like, nah, I don't. Uh, I, for whatever reason, we don't know why Apollos was quite unwilling to go. But there's room for that. It's left there. Now he gives some very strong exhortations in verses 13 and 14. And I'm going to come back to these at the very end. But I want to I want to walk through them real quick with you guys. These are commands. I'm going to read them all through and I'll go back to each one. He says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all things, let, let all that you do be done with love. And as he's given these kind of closing 
These are exhortations, each word of this, each one. The first one, watch. Definition is to be vigilant, to be awake. Metaphorically is to give strict attention or to be cautious, be active. And Paul is saying, I want you guys to be alert, be awake right now. That's all we have time for today on A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill has been teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. This book addresses the idea of confronting sin. Paul knew it was more important to hit the issue head on rather than skirt around it for the sake of being approved of by the majority. This is a hard thing to do when you know that tough issues will cause disruption in a church or even a breach in relationship. But what matters most, pleasing God or pleasing man? It's something to keep in mind as you continue to study this New Testament book. Can we encourage you as you strive to walk out a life of faith, even when it's unpopular? Call or send a text to 310-245-4811. That's 310-245-4811. We'd love to meet you. Do you live in the Inglewood area? Then come join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at calvaryinglewood.org. You can even find links to stream our services if you're not able to be with us in person. And you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is calvaryinglewood.org. As we come to the end of our time with you today, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as part of our listening audience. Would you join us in praying for others who are tuning in and may be hearing about Jesus for the first time? Pray that their hearts will be open to truth and change. Thanks for praying, and thanks for joining us on A Transforming Word.